Bill. What happened? Ted? We're dead, dude. No way. This way. Now what? You may challenge me to a contest. But if you lose, you will remain here in the afterlife forever. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. I'm Bill S. Preston. I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Together we are... WILD STIANCE! Today we'll be discussing Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Starring... Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves, George Carlin, Joss Ackland, and William Sadler. Directed by Peter Hewitt. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. It's the podcaster who works exclusively for pretzels and cheese. It's Gally from Glasgow. And uh, the very silkiest of the silky boys. <laughs> it's Devlin in London. Can I can I just say, Devlin, yeah. that I have literally got a full-on robot chubby, as we are joined by a very, very <laughs> special guest. <laughs> uh, one of the supreme leaders of the nation of Valverde. Today we are joined by the delightful YouTuber, Mr. Richard Jackson. Thank you very much. That's a very erection-centric intro. I've had a, a few intros in my time, but that was the most tumescent I've ever received. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for having me. Yes, uh, and we are going to be discussing your pick, Richard. You've mm. chosen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I have. It's uh, It was a fixture in my house. Uh, uh, when I was younger, and I'll tell you for why. Uh, we had a pirated tape that we'd inherited from a bigger boy called Stu, and it's and it said on the tape, it said Stu in red pen. And the first film on the tape was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and the second film on the tape was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So they were both there together without ad breaks, taped from a Dutch movie channel, which also meant there was approximately 25 minutes of hardcore pornography on the end of the tape. <laughs> so sometimes you'd watch Bill and Ted's the first one, sometimes you watch the second one, sometimes you watch both. Sometimes you'd be using it for hardcore pornography. So that isn't the only reason I love Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because of the porn after the credits. It's actually, um, <laughs> I, I, I do, but I, I, in all seriousness, I, I really, really love this film. I think it's a really clever film and it does things that no sequel necessarily has to do. And I think the original concept was pretty much the same thing happens again, but then they went in a completely different direction. And it's like, well, instead of time travel, let's have them explore the Judeo-Christian concept of heaven and hell. <laughs> it's, really, it's a really great movie. I think it's really funny. It's really sweet. Um, and I have a lot to say about it. Devlin, any memories of this one? Yeah. Um, I think I saw this at the cinema. I'm almost wow. certain I did. Oh, no way. Um, cause we used to have the first film on, uh, video. We would have got it from, uh, uh, Britannia Video Club, the video offshoot of the Britannia Music Club. You know, where they would just post you videos and then dare you to be too lazy to send it back. <laughs> <laughs> and, then when, and then when you forgot, they would charge you an enormous amount of money for it. So we did have that. And then, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure my dad took me to, um, uh, Bogus Journey and then we bought the tape. And yeah, me and my brother used to watch this a bunch. Um, it was, yeah, it was a fixture in our house as well. No porn on that one. <laughs> I'm a little fascinated. Did, 
Does that mean that straight after a show in Bill and Ted, they go right into the porn? So I went round Steve's house to watch on a sleepover to watch the same cable channel, and there would be uncensored Robocop. And well, then after, and then it would all be in, in Dutch. So it'd be like, no, so that's probably a bit xenophobic, but that, you know, there would be an announcement and a, and a continuity that you wouldn't understand. Then there'd be an ad break with adverts for like Dutch products. And then it would just go straight to hardcore porn. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, it wasn't an innocent situation where Bogus Journey had run on into hardcore porn. There was a break where Stuart stopped it waited for his dad because it was a thing where everyone had to watch from the same box so if his dad was watching hardcore porn it would come on his tv so he just taped it uh taped the, the porn there so um yeah if you watch bill and ted's bogus journey in our house in the living room woe betide you if you left the tape running and walked off to get a biscuit or something because an unsuspected mum or dad may have been exposed to hardcore porn which never happened because we're smarter than that mm. <laughs> <laughs> It's the danger, though, isn't it? Nice. Like, so <laughs> yeah, the element of danger. Yeah, I remember. I do remember this came out in the cinema, but I didn't see it. And then, then the the stew tape did the rounds. I guess a couple of years later, and yeah. we genuinely did take it for Bill and Ted, and the porn was just a bonus because every now and then you'd get things from Stu that had porn on, which was again was a bonus. And I think my brother still has the stew. Well, last official sighting of the stew tape was at my parents' house in the possession of my brother some years ago. Of no cause to have, you know stashed vhs pornography except for perhaps nostalgic reasons has no utility anymore because it's 2019 and the internet and i don't need a low-res 240p copy of either bill and ted's bogus journey pirated from touch television <laughs> but the tape was just sorry this is not on, on topic so the stew tape as far as i'm aware may still exist wow and he, it said stew on it and he liked graffiti so he did it in like a red pen and it was like the tag version of stew it's oh, stew's nice. tape that's yeah. so edgy <laughs> So edgy, so much edge. <laughs> I'm not sure I was supposed to follow that. I uh, I watched it on Sky a lot. <laughs> Six minutes fifty-one. <laughs> First guest and last episode ever. When everyone tunes out. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. What I will do is I will make sure that I write to Amazon uh, and say, "Can you like extend your Bill and Ted bogus journey?" and then fall into some dutch <laughs> pornography yeah, yes it does yes. sound like it would maybe um oh know, just I to reckon... clarify just to clarify it was on dutch television but it was american pornography i can just oh, okay. in case there's anyone if anyone writes in <laughs> <laughs> real nitpickers who also used to have chipped cable boxes in the 90s <laughs> or other people that knew Stu, or indeed Stu. Yeah. he doesn't strike with the type who would listen to movie podcasts but if you're listening Stu. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> well, I mean, we can recategorize this entire show anyway. We're now into the erotica, so it's okay. It's all good. Uh, so anyway, it's a great movie. <laughs> this was my Bill and Ted. Uh, I've got to say, a bit like uh, Terminator 2, uh, I kind of definitely came to Bogus Journey before I went back and saw Excellent Adventure. But I don't know if that was the same for you guys. Yeah, I was definitely chronological myself because uh, Excellent Adventure was out in the ether. So the fact that even was a Bill and Ted 2 was like something I just, and, and I think I someone this kid at school was like, oh, they go to hell. And I was like, whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean? Cause it's like, I remember the kid going like, yeah, Robocop three, Lewis dies. And then they make a girl Robocop and then Robocop marries and they have a Robocop baby. It's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so it's when it's like, oh yeah, they go to hell. It's like, oh, shut up. And then, and then the dawn of the stew tape happened and we all knew that in fact, they weren't lying for once. It was true. 
But uh, Richard, would you mind uh, sort of enlightening us and giving us a, a kind of a rough plot summary before we uh, before we delve deep into the bogus journey? Sure. So uh, a handful of years on from the excellent adventure in which Bill and Ted learned of their destiny, they are sharing a flat together. Um, they have switched stepmom, which is quite important, and mm. um, they are visited by their future selves again, or so it seems. Uh, where in actual fact, as we've seen in the opening scene, uh, the evil... Joss Ackland's playing Chuck Denomalous has created robot robot doubles that they call the robot usses that he sent back Terminator style to kill Bill and Ted. And uh, Bill and Ted are then, because he, he, he hates the society they've created, which we see a glimpse of. And um, he takes them, he, the robot usses take them to Vasquez Rocks, which is the, ro- the rocks where, which are the rocks where the uh, Star Trek episode arena was filmed. And uh, they chuck them off to their deaths. And then they meet Death, played by William Sadler. And uh, they bargain for their immortal souls and journey through the afterlife in order to set things right. And I guess the first thing that we need to discuss is a real departure from the original, yes? That's what I like about it, yeah. I mean, because this is the problem with sequels. And I actually prefer it. I prefer it to the first one, which I still think is a lovely, wonderful sweet sweet little movie this one's got a bit more edge to it but it, yeah it does a completely different thing because i think the original concept was that they were going to go do an english project to go meet shakespeare and blah, blah 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 blah. and it's like if someone said to you quick do a bill and ted sequel that's probably what you would think of but they've uh, ed solomon and chris matheson just really dug into it and went no no okay let's do a kind of crazy existential version of bill and ted where they go to the actual afterlife and time travel is part of it because obviously um it's uh you know, the mechanics of time travel are very important and Rufus is in there and everything else and, and the future they've created is, is in there. But that's not the focus. It's just, it's just a mechanic within the film. And I really, really appreciate that because people often complain about sequels not doing anything different. And this takes those two characters, you know, it's the same two idiots, but in a different situation, you know, meeting God and meeting the devil and, you know, being subjected to their own personal hells and stuff. Um, I, I just think it's really lovely. It's so, it's such a clever way of kind of twisting that original concept and you know I, I don't know much about how how what chris Ma- chris matheson has written but ed solomon i really rate as a writer um and i just think it's really nice that they took to this in a way as to you know change it up yeah it's difficult to think of a sequel that that preceded it that that put so much work into like upending the 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 kind of status quo of the first film right maybe gremlins 2 but i guess gremlins 2 is kind of a more meta commentary on gremlins yeah i suppose but they are both subverting their predecessors in a, in a similar way because this yeah. gremlins 2 and terminator 2 came out a similar time i think this was behind like number two behind terminator 2 at the box office and they're both you know terminator 2 doesn't completely re- reinvent the wheel but it is quite subversive of its you know antecedent if you like in that it's it's uh it, it takes the short character and makes him good and it kind of makes the terminator a good guy and introduces a new one and stuff I think Gremlins 2 is a really, really good example, actually, because it is really subversive. And this one, okay, it might not be, might not be subversing the, subverting the formula particularly, but it does do something different with the situation, I suppose. Because this, how many sequels is this now that we've done, Devlin? Is this the third one we've done? We've done oh, Halloween God, yeah. 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. Um, we've done Predator 2. Well, Predator 2, um, uh, oh, we did Lawnmower 2. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I, don't, I don't think that should count. <laughs> no, <it doesn't. laughs> just not for, not for us, but I mean for for cinema. Film, yeah. <laughs> no, but 
my point being is we're not like we haven't done loads of sequels i wouldn't say i'm like some sort of sequel expert however the one thing that i noticed watching both films sort of back to back and i can't, i watched them the wrong way around again i watched bogus journey and then i went back to excellent adventure but the the consistent thing is the characters right they never change and they reminded me the bill and ted characters reminded me a lot of um of harry and lloyd in um in dumb and dumber you know they're just mm. that is who they are nothing nothing that happens to them and nothing that happens in the story really changes them uh but they transform everyone around them and and we saw it in the first one with the historical characters and then we see it this time with these um well Mainly with death, uh, station a little bit, but yeah, they, they seem to transform everyone around them. And that's what I really enjoyed was that they, you say the writers are playing with the format and keeping the characters nice and consistent. What I do like is that as, as a pair of characters, that how well they work kind of sort of symbiotically together, they never have the fallout. You never have the moment where, uh, you know, where, where Lloyd and Harry split up. And, and Lloyd has to go and make up by getting the shitty little moped or how Wayne and Garth have the, have the big argument, uh, when the, when the plane's flying over, like they don't, the friendship is never really tested. Like it's never really in question that that would be a thing that they mine for, for, you know, cheap pathos or whatever. Well, there's a bit in the first one where he thinks he's been killed in the suit of armor. Do you remember? And there's like this really yeah. poignant moment where he like, there's the only time he truly feels they're actually out of their depth and in danger and they both sell it really well. And the only time that they ever throw a little bit of shade at each other is in regards to, uh, to Missy. Cause that should be the thing that would, would probably break any relationship I had with, with you, Teplin. <laughs> 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 And the joke is that they've swapped, they swap stepmom. Well, not even swap, like she marries the other dad yeah. by the time of this film, which is brilliant. It's such a great gag. And Bill's dad just broken, eating a Twinkie. <laughs> and he, he a... just looks ill, doesn't he? Like, it's... <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, that, yeah. is, that, that is a party you do not want to be attending. I hadn't seen the first one in, in a way, way, way longer time than it had been since I'd seen Bogus Journey. So that actually, um, that was kind of cool going back and uh, kind of reminding myself about that. And I'd forgotten about the really weird scene where Bill's dad ushers them out of Bill's own bedroom so that he yes with the stepmom. <laughs> that look on his sheet and grin on his face when he shut the door on. Yeah, he does that creepy little door closing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, listen, I had a question, a general question. So, Bill and Ted, what is the overall appeal? What was the thing that in the first one that then meant that we generated a cartoon? Uh, Devlin, you told me about some stage play or something like oh, that. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a short-lived live-action series as well. Yes, Ooh, it's a live-action yeah. show. Oh, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah, very which... much like a kind of adventure of the week, exactly what you'd expect it to be. Like how you were saying that, you know, if somebody said you've got like 10 minutes, think of a Bill and Ted sequel. That's what the TV show ended up being, which is, you know, problem arises, take the phone booth, fix the problem. Have you seen a lot of it? Uh, yeah, I have. I watched it on YouTube right. um, ages ago. I have a particular beef with it that I want to air now, if I may. Mm. Um, well, there's one episode, and actually, by the way, the castings of Bill and Ted and Rufus, they're all kind of quite good off-brand TV versions. They're all kind of close enough, you know what I mean? Mm. doesn't matter because the show's shit, but... Um, <laughs> There's there's one where they go to an alternate future, which is kind of like what Denominus is trying to create in this film, right? They go to the alternate future, the dystopian alternate future. 
And uh, one of the jokes is that um, everybody has to eat Chicken Kiev all the time because Chicken Kiev is the worst film. Now, I take exception to that. Not only do I like Chicken Kiev, mini, shop-bought, sometimes even, not the garlic one, the one of cheese inside, I don't mind, but I also make mini Kiev from scratch with egg white and breadcrumb. And I don't need some 30-year-old TV show shaming me for my choices. <laughs> that, my friends, is why I don't like the Bill of Ted TV show. I'm just, I'm Thanks for coming to my TED talk. No, no, I'm glad that we, uh, you were able to like cathartically get, get that out of the system, mate. You don't want to hold on to that. You really Absolutely don't. done. You can, you can make a Kiev now <laughs> and feel at peace. That's it. Now I've, now I've got that bit of catharsis. I'm good. But one of the things that I, I think works with the Bill and Ted characters is in the casting and, and not just because they work really well, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves together, but there never seems to be an ego in either film, even when, Clearly, Keanu Reeves' career as a star is on the rise. And Alex Winter, not to say that his star wasn't on the rise, but Keanu Reeves, is it in the same year he does Speed, doesn't he? In the, uh, no, um, it would be, Speed would right? be a couple of years after. But is it? I guess he would have been in Point Break at this point. Oh, is it Point Break, isn't it? Shit, Probably, sorry, yeah. Same year? So same year as Bill and Ted, Bogus Journey. So he's he's on the ascendancy into pure stardom. And, yeah. but they never, there never seems to be a, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. I need a scene where I'm like, I look the best out of the two of us. There's none of that. And, and you really do, I really see it on the screen. Like they, they look like they're having a blast together. Like you say, there's no ego to them. They're inherently sweet. They're a bit kind of dumb. They're not like, they're never shown as malicious, right? Cause they, they, they're going to fail their history because they never go to class and stuff. And cause just, well, just cause they're dumb, really. Yeah. Like there's no, and they're not mean. They're not like Beavis and Butthead. They don't go around doing mean stuff. And like even Wayne's World is kind of about the perils of fame and their own kind of cynicism sort of gets them and everything. Bill and Ted find out that they're kind of literally the Messiah figures of this new society and it doesn't change them in either film it doesn't change them at all and the only thing they really have is self-doubt there's never this kind of egotistical thing it goes the other way they sort of doubt themselves mm. they're just mm. such sweet characters i think they're mm. they're kind of they're really magnetic they're sort of irresistible really in that sense um because you know ourselves are funny everyone knows that but it's, sometimes yeah. it's nice just to have pure characters and and, and it, like you say they seem to uh, in real life have this really lovely friendship because alex winter sort of directed stuff and became more of a sort of industry guy whereas keanu reeves has, has been keanu reeves the sort of is he an elf or a portrait <laughs> in gray or a sort of a magical pixie from space no one seems to know he feels like a god who walks amongst men nowadays i mean literally dream casting for everyone is keanu reeves for every role that ever exists right and he he just has this like wealth of goodwill thrown at him and and for for good reason there's loads of lovely videos of him i remember the one on the train where he gives up his seat for a lady mm. yeah it's like the entire internet has their their good news story about keanu he's he's amazing human being like i the thing is like he's not the best actor in the world really and i don't mean that hey look he's better than me he's not mm. the best actor in the world but he's just got this amazing charisma and he's got an incredible physicality like he learned all that kind of kung fu shit for the matrix and now he's carried on into action movies so like you know and he's this amazing professional he's not like the got the most amazing range in the world but he clearly seems to be like this wonderful kind human being and there's also like a like like you say it's like the characters there's a lack of cynicism you can mm. see that he just commits to whatever thing he's doing oh yeah and there's stuff that's in his wheelhouse. Like, um, I think I told you, Gally, but you've never seen it. That, um, you should watch, uh, Thumbsucker. Yes, you've been telling me I need to watch that since university. It's, it's, it will happen, <laughs> mate. He's like a, uh, a, a weird Zen dentist. Nice. 
It's, uh, I can imagine that. I can totally imagine that as a, <laughs> a zentist, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an odd little kind of supporting turn in like a little indie drama. Very good. And mm. you, you're absolutely right, Devlin. He does commit because even most people point to Bram Stoker. I mean, he is the worst thing in that. Uh, when he, when he went down his Shakespearean route, but at least he went for it. I mean, we, we just, we just talked about Kevin Costner when, uh, when we were talking about Waterworld, Richard, and I had a bit of a, a love affair with, with Kevin, uh, in the early nineties, as most people right. did. But he was, he's an actor for me that I wish he had stretched himself a little bit more, maybe gone off and worked with, uh, different directors and tried to challenge himself and, and kind of subvert his, his star persona. Keanu has done that. I remember when, uh, Sam Raimi's The Gift. Keanu's the bad guy. Mm. Oh, yeah. And like, that is yeah, just very like, good that comes out of like, absolutely nowhere because it's what? The year after the Matrix, he's the biggest star in Hollywood. And then he's doing this little small Sam Raimi killer. He's like a scuzzy little scumbag, right? Yeah. Scuzzy little scumbag stalker guy. He's, he's like Madonna as well. Every decade, he just reinvents himself. He, he'll go and do a 47 Ronin and, have, and no one will go and see it, but no one will remember it. So it's okay because then he'll go and do. A new franchise. There's a Bruce Willis. What Bruce Willis does is like Bruce Willis about once a year, he releases like some big theatrical film for better or for worse, but he's constantly making director video shit and no one, and just gets away with it because no one watches them. And Keanu Reeves in a similar vein. If you look, if you watch Keanu Reeves, just keep an eye on Amazon or Netflix hmm. and every couple of months be like Keanu Reeves stars as a man who invents a new kind of microwave but when the Japanese government don't <laughs> like it he has to go on the run to the moon and you know like garbage sounding stuff but like he just but because he's Keanu Reeves I mean because Bill uh, 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 Bruce Willis is the anti-Keanu isn't he he just seems like a bit of a prick <laughs> these days yeah. which is really sad but like um, they both have this thing where they have a position where they can do theatrical films but they do these kind of really low rent things on the side that no one seems to really notice whereas for a lot of other people that would just mean that you know like steven seagal right he slipped into that kind of dtv thing and never got out of it again one of the things i really enjoy is about this one it gets straight into it doesn't it there's no messing around we don't Mm. even get like i think they just cut straight into the future and Rufus yeah. is delivering uh, some some kind of seminar. Oh, the, I, I think the first thing we see is uh, oh, it's Denominus, isn't it? Actually, yes, you're right. It is. Yeah, it's, mm. Uh, mm. it's God. I'm laughing before I even say it. It's uh, it's Joss Ackland's spunky backpack. <laughs> he, he, of, he of spunky backpack. <laughs> All I ever think of is either Joss Ackland's spunky backpack or diplomatic immunity. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the Joss Ackland things. <laughs> I uh, I remember him in uh, when Van Damme was trying to get all highbrow in Nowhere to Run. He's the he's mm. the main villain in that. He doesn't really do much, but he, he's doing his British villain turn in this. But again, that kind of feels like they're they're playing with that. It, it, normally, you would say, "Oh God, just another British theatre actor just spinning the wheels doing a British villain." But I actually is he British? I think he is. Yeah, just yeah, well, British, isn't he? Yeah, oh, okay. he is. Yeah, I couldn't. Down... I couldn't nail down his accent at all. I oh, guess no, he was, was just going. He was going so ham villain that I, I thought. <laughs> I thought he was from insert <laughs> nameless European country here. Also, just just you know, 
Okay, he attempts to subvert the course of history to install a fascist dictatorship, and his punishment is to receive a Melvin. <laughs> that is, that's how sweet this film is. So Which he seems to enjoy. Oh yes, of course he does. He's into it, isn't he? He's into it. So really, it's it's a zero sum game. Like everybody's. Yeah. He was supposed to die. He was supposed to die and go to hell. That was the that was the the thing. But they changed it to a Melvin, which he enjoys. <laughs> Um, and then so, ends up marrying yeah. Missy. Oh yes! <laughs> oh, this movie is so wonderful. Everything about it is just so good. Those little thrown away bits at the end, yeah, of the newspaper. Yeah, he married. It's one of the newspaper headlines, isn't it? That he's yeah, married yeah. Missy, and also that infers that people just know who Missy is. <laughs> it's like the Washington Post front page. <laughs> well, um. Uh, Here's a question. Ever received or been, or given? (laughs) (laughs) We must have done it in school after watching this. We I don't remember it because it's just basically squeezing someone's pods, isn't it? That's all it is. It's not like. That's it, right? Because it's really confusing the way it's edited because I, I got the impression that maybe it was supposed to be like a heavy wedgie. But he definitely yeah. grabs him by the plums, and he does it from the front. <laughs> he does it yeah, from right. Because like, and they both do. It. They both do it. Because if it was a, cause that's it. Because if it was a wedgie, it'd be like, oh, it's a wedgie. But it's not. It's a Melvin, and that's yeah. that's alien to me. <laughs> and they do it in stereo, don't they? Bill and Ted both. Yeah, grab one plum each. Grab <laughs> one plum each. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're absolutely right, Richard. This is the kind of thing that, as a kid. I don't remember delivering a Melvin to anyone, but I remember watching more rats and I, and I got this idea that yes, a stink palm will be the thing I will deliver the next time someone like crosses me. And I did it on a football. I put my, for those that don't know what a stink palm is, I put my hand. Get graphic with it, Gally. I know, I know. We, we really have lost a lot of the listeners on this oh one. Oh my gosh. I, you put your hand in your ass. And then you kind of, you just kind of leave it there to sort of fester. And then, and then when the, when the moment is, is, is right, you uh, pull it out and you just shake someone's hand who has wronged you, which is what I did on a football pitch after a game. Cause the guy was the kid. Well, I say the guy, it was a kid, was a prick. So I was like, I, I'm gonna, I was, I was 28 at the time. And I, and I stink palmed him. And then the realization. That, that this thing is ridiculous because my hand just smelled like shit. So like, I'm the one that is in the wrong. But the Melvin, it must influence. Like, I'm, I'm thinking now if I were to ever show this to future, future galleys running around that they would probably attempt to Melvin me. Cause it's just, you would do, wouldn't you? They do it like three times <laughs> in the I, film. Um, well, um, so I've, I've never been Melvin, but, uh, I, I don't think <laughs> I ever told you this galley cause this is not one of my proudest moments. So fuck it. I'll just say it on a podcast. <laughs> Luckily, nobody listens. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, in, in, in Japan, there's a thing that school kids do. It's called a kancho, which is where you put your two index fingers together like a little gun, and then you wait till somebody's not looking and possibly bending over, and you jab <laughs> them in the anus. Oh, no. Wow. Wow. Um, That's, this, this is the Me Too era. That's <laughs> so... Um, so I, I worked for for the best part of a year in a in a school in in Japan in Shizuoka, and uh, there was a kid there, this little five six year old. I'm not going to say his name, but he knows who he is for legal reasons. 
<laughs> he can't speak English because I didn't teach him very well. <laughs> but he knows who he is and he knows what he did. And that little shit bag used to ruin my Thursday afternoons because it was straight after lunch. I'd be all full of delicious convenience store rice. And then I'd have to teach him and this other little hell beast. And one day he decided they'd, I'd lost control of the classroom. There's literally two five-year-olds and I was being defeated. And this kid, um, he decided he was going to can show me. He couldn't be asked to wait for the opportune moment. So he put his little finger guns together and he jabbed me in the scrotum. (laughs) Extremely hard. Um, I hope your roundhouse kicked him. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought involuntary bum fingerings were bad enough, but that's a, a, a... A finger pistol to the to the sack, to the oh. yeah, to the sack. So um, there you go. There's there's my non Melvin. Well, next time <laughs> next time you can Melvin him, the little prick. Just <laughs> well. just just on this note, and I realise we we I've, oh, 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 well, and, you know I don't want to drag this digression on too much longer, but you know you've heard the thing right to get like a free point, like the eggy <laughs> point. No. no, no, no. Okay, so what you do is I I have never done this, and it's basically like the way Brody stink palms uh thingy bob in, in more rats you put the fingers in your ass crack you grip your half finished pint by the top and you put it under the nose of the barman where your bum <laughs> fingers are and go does this pint smell off <laughs> they smell it and then you get a free round or you get a free beer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Ugh. they probably go change the barrel and everything <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, how Bill and Ted's bunker said. I'm hoping that nobody came to listen to this for <laughs> movie facts, but they've learned a lot more than they would have expected. So, oh god, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We um, we've we've encouraged it, haven't we? Slightly. <clears throat> but, um, so back to Bill and Ted. Um, yeah, the the opening future world, which is all clean and uh, and they've got a motto to live by, right? It's uh, party on, dudes, and just be excellent to each other. They've got the little statues mm. erected, and I swear, and I unfortunately haven't done any. Well, I I have done some research, but I did not I did not look this up. But it I I found it, Gally, because we did, did talk about it? this. Yes, yes, carry did, on, but yeah, I found yeah. it. Yeah, so I was like convinced that I'd seen this location before, and I was like, it's got to be the next generation. Mm. There's an episode in The Next Generation, mm-hmm. and I still haven't looked at it, which one it is, but it's in this perfect utopian world where everyone's running around with awesome hard bodies. And, uh, and oh, fuck, I remember sheets. that one. Yes. And yeah. I thought, it looks just like that. And also, Demolition Man, right? It looks just like well, that. Yeah, so we we talked about it might be Demolition Man. I had a quick look before we started because I remembered it from Star Trek as well. So it was in TNG and it was in Voyager because it's Starfleet Academy. Oh. Um, and it, it's called the Tillman Water Reclamation Plant, which is in the southern, is in Van Nuys, Southern California. Um, or Van Nuys, I don't know how you say that. Uh, yeah. And it, you can see the picture of it. And yeah, it does look like one of the things of Demolition Man, which I don't think it was used for. Okay. Uh, but it looks like that. And, um, one of the few, cause like there's this, there's the fact they watch Arena, right? And then they go to the Star Trek rocks, the Vasquez rocks. And William Sadler was the, uh, section 31 guy in, in, uh, Deep Space Nine. Yes, yeah. So it's got, and I think there are probably a few more sort of Star Trek deep cuts in there somewhere, but mm. definitely there's a ton of Star Trek references in, like, obvious and non-obvious in this, which I, I will always appreciate. No, no, I, I totally agree. But it, it sets up the world really quick, and that's one of the things I, I appreciate about both films, but in particular this one. We just get straight into the action. They get, they have this seminar, 
Um, I think Rufus delivers like uh, one bit of advice before, um, you know, all hell breaks loose. And he's just like, kids, remember when you do your homework, remember to put your headphones on. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> this is brilliant. This is a, you know, a motto to live by. And then uh, Denonymous walks in. And like you say, he is the, uh, the oppressive dictator who wants to change things. And it also reminded me of what probably was the case in 1991 of just parents that hate Bill and Ted. They must, <laughs> yes. must have just been like, I don't get it. This is, this is actually bullshit. Stop listening to this stuff. Cause he's got that. He's got his uh, mission statement, hasn't he? Which is like fear. Was it fear, discipline and order or something like yeah, that? Yeah. And, it, mm. and it, it just fit. I, I, I really thought it was a, a really strong, almost like a Saturday cartoon opening of right. Here's our villain. He's bad. We don't need to know anything more. He's just a bad guy because he's dressed in black and he's got weird boots. And he is, he's like a mean, shitty grown up, isn't he? Yeah. Spoiling the fun. Cause you know, they have like Faith No More and stuff in their oh, God. little lecture and everything. And, and it's like, uh, he just comes and ruins all the fun, which is really great. And it is like, like you said, like it's unfair leveled at Bill and Ted because they got lumped in with say Beavis and Butthead and mm. Wayne and Garth and like, but, Bill and Ted are the anti-Beavis and Butthead. They're, they're kind of the two sides of the same coin because they're so pure. But this thing of like kids worshipping people who are basically idiots obviously didn't go down very well with parents. No. And, uh, and that's clearly reflected in Denomalous as a character. He just walks out and says they're awful and they're awful, they're awful and stupid and we can't base a society upon them. <laughs> Even though our society is really nice and full of people in what look like very warm neon costumes <laughs> made yeah. out of, made out of flumps. <laughs> I I had it as like the um the material that Nerf guns use as oh, ammunition. Yes. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, the very, the very flimsy foam. It it sort of reminded me of the the, the Flintstones movie. Oh yeah, I yeah, don't know, just because everything being carved out of foam. But that and and the and the score. I think the score reminded me of it. Yeah, it's kind of big and bombastic, and yeah, yeah. I can't think he did it. But it's a very good. It's a very good utopian future, and it and. You know, the assumption that you've seen that you don't have to have seen the first film. I don't think at all. But if you have, you've already been shown a kind of glimpse of that future with its big shoulder pads and its utopianism based around these two kids. So to go in and everything's bright and colorful and everyone hangs out and listens to music and it's all fun and there's nice statues. It's nice. It works really well. Um, as a continuation of that film. And like the third, because the third one's supposed to be that that future never came to pass, right? So. Mm-hmm. Right. The, from that scene, we go into the scene of Bill and Ted in their flat. And they just haven't got their shit together as a band. Their girlfriends leave them and they don't, they don't really know what's going on yet. You know, they're still kind of in a bit, they're in a bit of a rut. Richard, can I go back one, one minute to the opening? Because oh, sorry. It, yeah, of course. Only because, uh, I wanted to say this because I, I remember watching this as a kid and watching it now. And maybe I've just, uh, lost some of my edge, but when Bill and Ted, evil Bill and Ted robots reveal themselves, that is quite horrific. Like I was thinking about it. It is. It's cool as well. It's really, really cool. It's a practical effect that looks awesome. But I was like, oh wow, this is kind of deeply disturbing. <laughs> it reminded me of the thing. Like you would you wouldn't it wouldn't be mis like it wouldn't be out of place in in the thing at all, in John Carpenter's a thing. It's the way they do it from their mouths. It's yeah. from the mouth as well. Yeah, I can't believe I've glossed over that. Yeah, the mouth and because they do their chest and then they kind of thing where they peel their heads back and there's those kind of like neon and the they look like Terminators that would come from this future. Mm-hmm, you know, it's yeah. all kind of bright lights and plastic and stuff and little clicky eyes and everything. Yeah, I can imagine maybe some some younger kids that really liked Excellent Adventure because you're right about Excellent Adventure. It's it's a it's a slightly more wholesome, sweeter film. I think the score in that one is a little bit more 
geared towards kind of being kid friendly and this one more bombastic but i remember there's one song in um in a montage in the first film which felt very like soft rock almost a bit saccharine uh, and we, you don't get any of that in, in Bogus Journey. It, it's going for a mm. completely different tone. It has the same net result. Like by the end of the film, you're back at that kind of status quo and it's all kind of sweet. But yeah, it has a much darker edge. You know, it's all snogging your granny and going to military school, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's the first indication when they rip themselves off. And, and you're right. Uh, when they get to the apartment, they're, they're sort of struggling to get themselves together. They're, they're in the battle of the bands. This is all kind of like, it's all plot stuff, but they know that it's kind of, it's just utilitarian and it's like well we just want to get to where we want to get to so they don't don't spend any time really the setup is really quick and i appreciate that for this kind of film because it is it feels very sketch episodic so it's not terribly long no why bother why bother having like bill and ted in the funk because they can't play and they're not getting into the battle of the bands no just okay you're playing last move on pam greer (laughs) There's some time travel. (laughs) George Carlin in a Pam Greer skin suit, as it's revealed. (laughs) There was, um, there was a bit towards the end when, when you've got the, uh, you know, the unzip reveal and you hear that guy from the audience yelling, (laughs) take it off. (laughs) (laughs) Where as for, for like a split second, my brain was trying to work out, but wait a sec. So. So Rufus land was hanging onto the top of the time machine at the start of the film and then mm. he landed when they did. But then Pam Greer was in the scene straight after. And, uh, I felt like Austin Powers too, where yeah. he's gone cross-eyed <laughs> and has <laughs> yeah. a exposition just tells him to just enjoy it. <laughs> that's my, that's my favorite. I love, I, I re- reference that scene all the time. It's such a great, cause films do one or two things over. They sort of just go into the deep dive and tell you how it works. All they did about, cause he, he, he goes like, just have a, just have a good time. Then he looks at the camera and goes, that goes for you all too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always want that in like a Terminator Genesis, like the T-800. Yeah. He said, that goes for you all too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cause you definitely don't, you don't need to take the mechanics of time travel too seriously in Bill and Ted, do you really? Yeah. No, it's, no, it's largely based around, uh, comedy sandbags and cages. That's and in the first film, a bin, which just is. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking the time to spray paint. Well, <laughs> well, Richard, when you chose this, um, when we, when you initially, well, we initially got together and said, right, we're going to talk about Bill and Ted's bogus journey. One of the things you said was that you felt like it was underappreciated and, um, and maybe hadn't been, you know, given its day in the, in the light for people to go, actually, you know what? This is a really good sequel. And I do wonder if the narrative was set when I saw a load of articles like a decade ago. I remember like loads of, loads of people saying that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is the film that gets time travel right, that does it correctly. And it kind mm. of, you know, sort of poo-pooed all the other films like Back to the Future, Terminator, etc. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I don't know. Have you got a, an idea as to why the sequel didn't quite maybe sort of resonate for you know that kind of pop culture cult classic status well i don't know yeah i don't know it's funny is it because like it, um like i said it was two it was number two behind terminator 2 when it came out and um it was definitely liked among kids but i just found it sort of seemed people just don't seem to talk about it much anymore which is my main appreciate you know in terms of its money and stuff i don't know because it is so so different from the first one and the first one sets its stall up very early and just does this very straight up story where this is 
really weirdly paced, you know, in a good way, because you can mm. pace things in a, in a, you know, you don't have to do everything in a three act structure or hero's journey or whatever, but this does it in an unusual way and it gets away with it. And I don't know, you know, people don't send, tend to bring it up so much anymore. And you, you get those kind of conversations down the pub where it's like, like, Oh, well, yeah, I love Bill and Ted. Don't really remember the second one. Then we watch the second one and it's like, um, yeah, you, you're wrong. You're wrong and bad. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong and bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's because I tell you what, I'll tell you for why this film has re like the, art design in this film is miles ahead of the first one like the first one is lovely and it's really nicely appointed this has the like this references the seventh seal they do a whole german expressionism section in hell where it's mm. like it's like a murnau film or like a or you know yeah. the, the cabinet of dr caligari right it's all the painted sets and stuff um they do the their ghosts are them with their, their they are painted black and white in color scenes yes and it's a really spooky kind of off-putting image hmm. like, there's, there's like that really weird thing where um they've they've got a like just a little echo like a pre-echo yeah when they speak. like they yeah. said their speech i think it's like reverse and laid over or something yeah. like it's full of really weird creative choices um which the first film is a great movie and i do really like it but it 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 just has its script and its story and it gets on with it and does it right um this one has loads of art design and creative stuff in it and and sound design and it's kind of it's weirdly plotted like i think in every sense it shouldn't work but it does and peter here at the director um which gally and i talked about briefly yesterday he did like thunderpants but he's done like garfield he did a, a like the borrowers stuff like that like he didn't do mm. anything particularly interesting so i don't necessarily credit him as being the person behind that as a kind of singular vision or whatever but for whatever reason there was some far more interesting kind of creative drives behind this film than the first one mm-hmm. which just kind of puts it on another level for me i don't know if it was um if it was Pete Hewitt, who's a British director. But what I do know mm. is that the comedy in this resonated more with me. And I don't know whether it's just my British sensibility that it kind of appeals to, because the comedy, I'll give you a line. When we're in the birthday party scene, this is kind of my jam. I say <laughs> jam. When Colonel Oates is introduced and he's like, you know, tear, he, he sort of shoots a, shoots across the, the bow for Bill and Ted about coming to Alaska and joining the military school, which is a reference to the first one. Mm. When he walks away, he just says, ah, fresh fudge. (laughs) 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 And it's just brilliant. And I just thought, well, that is, this is my kind of humor. I'm, I'm, I'm just down for this kind of thing where you don't actually know what's going to happen, but you just, you're standing by for what might be said, what might not be said later on when they're in hell, he says something like, uh, Ah, silk. Silk. He says that silk from the breasts of Chinese worms. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this may as well be a Chris Morris brass eye episode. Like they are just coming up with these weird, bon- like bonkers lines. And I, I love that kind of stuff. What, tell me one other film, right? That would have the absolute fucking sand to do a good 10 minute long parody of the seventh seal where they play battleships yep. with death. Like, <laughs> I, and I still, to this day, when I see anything relating to a boat sink and I always to myself go, you sunk my battleship. <laughs> J seven. Hit. I hit. You have sunk my battleship. 
Excellent! Yeah! I totally knew you put it in the J's, dude. Good thinking, Ted. You must play me again. What? Um, best two out of three. No way! Yes way. I know what the seventh seal is because of Bill and Ted, because I watched this when I was, you know, 12 or whatever. I, I didn't know it because I went and sought out Bergman when I was 12. It's because I watched this and came to it the other way around. And also, you don't need to have ever seen it, really, do you? Because the scene plays without you even understanding what they're parodying. And that, that's, that's the thing that's now. The if it was like a Seth MacFarlane thing, you'd have to have a cartoon dog look at the camera and go, well, it's like the seventh seal. Because <laughs> this, this kind of comedy, like I think about the era... And obviously, hair metal, that kind of music, that kind of look, the vernacular that the characters use was very popular. I wonder if it was Bill and Ted that really did popularize it. But I remember as a kid, and I don't know if you guys had, do you remember Naff, the brand? Of course, yeah. yeah. I had a jacket and hat, uh, which, you know, didn't go down well in primary school. I think I got um, got sent home because they saw it as profanity. <laughs> the word Naff. But that whole thing was like, I was in... Like, I love that kind of stuff. And it just, this whole era of, of comedies where you had, like, California Man with Brendan Fraser doing, doing the goofy stuff and Paulie Shaw. Well, yeah. when, when Paulie Shaw was, you know, tolerable. And, uh, wow. and you had, that like, is a question though. Was, was this film indirectly responsible for, for Paulie the, Shaw? For the, the nightmare reign of Paulie Shaw. <laughs> nightmare, the age of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Biodome is the one that clicks with this cut again. That kind of because it, you know Stephen Baldwin and uh, and it's amazing to think that Stephen Baldwin, but Stephen Baldwin and Paulie Shaw again, it's two idiots out of their depth. Is the whole yeah. except in, in Biodome, for example, it doesn't quite get it because they're not particularly likable, whereas Bill and Ted are inherently likable characters. They've got a really positive outlook and they're constantly smiling. They're constantly like almost symbiotic in everything they do. When they ask for the princess's hand in marriage. They kind of do it together. They've got the same thing written, but uh, uh, Bill, I think Bill's talking about like things you find in a forest and Ted's talking about, <laughs> he's like with bears and tree growing lichen. <laughs> and, Ted's, lichen. and Ted starts talking about man of war. <laughs> it speaks volumes that when, when the robots turn up and start treating the girls like shit, like you, I really feel that injustice because Bill and Ted are so nice, and I don't want their reputations ruined. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like they're lovely. Why are they, look at these robot assholes? Which is the point, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but it just speaks to how pure those characters are—that you actually give a shit about their fictitious reputation. I, I like that. Um, that one of the things that they're so scared of, and that they keep getting threatened with, is is military school as well, because you know that's angry and violent. And there's a bit in the first film when they get, um, when they get involved in the Wild West punch up. And they get, they get cornered by a couple of cowboys and they just say, we're totally weak and literally (laughs) cannot fight you. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that's, that's such a kind of, it's the complete, because that's like late eighties. That was like the height of, you know, all men on screen should really be kind of pumped up and, 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 you know, virile. And that's how you show your masculinity is by being violent. And they're basically pacifistic, aren't they, really? Yeah. I mean, they're drawn out into fights. They never, they never ask them. They never look for anything violent. They don't have any violent impulses. They have kind of violence visited upon them. And again, like in the first one, when, you know, he thinks his friend's dead and it's this really sweet little thing. 
like it's the whole kind of joke is when they're put in these extraordinary situations, they're completely nonplussed, right? So when they're falling down that pit to hell, they get bored and start playing I Spy. I remembered that scene, but I'd forgot how fucking brilliant the dialogue is in that yeah. it is two sentences. <laughs> There is a big thud in, and there always is in all these films. And remember, we we had me and Devlin kind of had a big conversation about Monster Squad because in the beginning of Monster Squad, I don't know if you've seen it, Richard, or seen it Ooh. recently. Um, there's a there's a whole big back and forth dialogue of homophobic slurs, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, this film has it. It stems from their insecurity because I think there is the one thing that, and I've thought about this a lot recently because with the new movie on the way, and they're clearly not going to do it in that, but. The one, the one kind of negative in the Bill and Ted movies is this sort of homophobic thing. In context, because even Denomalous liking, liking the Melvin is a bit kind of, mm, what are you trying to say there? Um, them, the way, yeah, they, what they, the way they use said slur, it's not very nice, but they are supposed to be insecure teenage dickheads, which is the kind of mitigating thing. Yes. Um, unfortunately in that, in that time, it was just a dumb thing to call people that. I think, you know, there was a few things that stack up. Uh, you know, the princesses feel a bit like they're not gays as well, but th- just because of the way that they're utilized, which they are just, you know, princesses in the tower, the whole film, they're just trying to rescue mm. them. But mm. it doesn't, like you say, it's, if it's subtext, then it's there, but I, I think you can get past it. It was just the one delivery of it was on the, on the top of those rocks. Uh, mm. it kind of, it kind of felt like a, ooh, moment where i did have a bit of a cringe and then i went right back into it and that's to the you know that's to the the testament of the film really and you know the, the robots are supposed to be awful as well they're trying yeah. to kill cats hi listeners we'll get back to discussing bill and ted's bogus journey right after this important public announcement young people from around the globe are joining today to discuss movies i'm doing my part I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) They're doing their part. Are you? Join Valverde Broadcasting and have your say. Remember, subscription guarantees citizenship. Would you like to know more? They have the knowledge. They have the jokes. We need subscribers. Subscribers like Ted Maul and Sidney Cook. Remember... Subscribing guarantees citizenship. Go onto YouTube and search Valverde Broadcasting. Never pass up a good thing. There's something I know, there's a little detail in this that I really like, and it's when, because obviously you have to, in the Bill and Ted universe, right, you have to put on sunglasses when you activate the time machines of the Flash. And uh, every time someone does that in this, one lens is illuminated red and the other one is blue for a split yeah. second because so that 3D yeah. glasses look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's just a really that. lovely little throw. Again, there's great kind of little art design and stuff in this. And it's just a lovely little thrown away 
kind of detail that's in there. And uh, and then we then then we meet Death, right? We meet William Sadler. We've kind of referred to him, so they're, they're dead now. They they lovely grayscale, like you said. It is it's quite unnerving, and and uh, just like with the uh, the robot reveal at the beginning, like for a kid, this kind of stuff. This kind of like visual imagination, but also te- stepping into kind of more darker territory. I loved this kind of thing. Like I remember, and I spoke to Devlin about it earlier in the week. Like I loved Ren and Stimpy. Like I loved Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> and it, the, all of this, because it feels like a live action cartoon at times, this this yeah. film. And I, it, I just kept thinking about watching Ren and Stimpy and loving it, even though most of it was way it's, over my yeah. head. <laughs> It does fall in line with like a lot of the kind of the the weird off kilter, very smart early nineties uh, cartoons that came out. I guess like I was thinking like like um like Animaniacs used to have a bunch of jokes that were really way above the heads of the audience as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and all the Cartoon Network stuff as well, like Dexter's Lab yeah. and Johnny Bravo. There was some real. I think the one from Animaniacs is the fingerprints joke. That's, you know, that that's, one. That is, yeah, <laughs> that's where that's where you're going, isn't it? I think since it's on the internet, everybody knows what we're talking about when I say yeah. that. <laughs> even like in, in yeah. Red and Stimpy, just powdered toast man who then uh, yeah. grabs the characters and then puts them up against his nipples. Oh, the rubber nipple salesman! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these are just a walrus. Just <laughs> like a walrus opens the door to them. And then you just went, call the police. <laughs> oh, oh god! <laughs> it's actually got kind of a bit less edge than those cartoons, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of those, some real grot, particularly Ren and Stimpy, was so grimy. Yeah, those, like, those still frame kind of close-ups with the really horribly detailed gouache artwork. It's always like a yeah, like a zit with hair coming out of it yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like really not grim. super dissimilar to um, Alex Winter as uh, Granny S. Preston Esquire. Oh, there's lot, there's some uh, pretty detailed mole work on, yeah. <laughs> on that on that makeup. Should we should we talk about the hell sequence because it is my it's my favorite bit in the in the film. Like I don't, it honestly freaked me out watching it again now as an adult, just as it did as a kid. And the one that really scared me, forget about the military, I was also kind of scared about the granny, but the bunny. Genuinely. <laughs> you're still Deacon's Easter basket. You're still Deacon's Easter basket. <laughs> Why has he got Al Capone's Brooklyn accent? Like, it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty certain that's, um, Frank Welker. You know, the yeah, voice artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he did Megatron and t- like all of the voices forever, Frank Welker. And I'm pretty sure he did the bunny and a few other voices in this. So, you oh, know, it's, it's sort of it's like. so creepy. Just. just... It's the pink as well. It's just, it's so... Man, honestly, they do a whole silent film homage in those scenes. Mm. It's pure German expressionism. And then they're, they're color washes, so it looks like those kind of color wash black and white films as, as we would see them. And the different color codings for each one. There's yeah. a kind of uh, infinity sets done through painting the walls. Uh, all the kind of chiaroscuro lighting and stuff. It's like a really clever cinema deep cut yeah. wrapped up in this scene about Easter bunnies and kissing your nan. Like that's yeah. why, and it just throws that away as well. It completely just throws that as <laughs> totally thrown away scene. Like it's, yeah, brilliant. It's, it's my favorite bit of the movie as well. What I love is when they're um, when they're tracking that camera along the the huge, almost endless dinner table mm. with that really, really fisheye lens, and everyone else at the table 
is they've all got like really subtle but really disturbing makeup. It's like they've mm-hmm. all got prosthetics on to make yeah, them so look it, really similar. It's all a little bit off, isn't it? Yeah. And then their clothes will blend into the background. And they these those scenes really play with like the concept of infinity, like you say, because like the the, the uh, it's like infinite push ups, right? Yeah. It's yep. infinite kissing your granny, it's infinite chocolate, and then the rooms are seen to go on infinitely, like the dinner table, and then the air vent things are kind of infinite. So that really, it's not just like the script telling you that this is a this is an eternal punishment, but the visual cues in the film are all about eternity, fisheye lenses and everything. It's really clever. You know, the rule of three. They do it three times. So they do the military, the gram, and the bunny. Which, you know, there's no there's no gentle links there. It's just randomness. You think what they could have done, and it would have been so easy to be kind of stereotypical of you know fire burning and and just you know. You could make it like any kind of painting, Dante's Inferno, whatever. The granny thing works because I think as kids, you are like, as much as you love your grandparents as a child, you don't, you never want to go around because there's nothing to play. <laughs> mm. you, 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 your best hope is that they might have some pink wafers in the biscuit tin. They kind of smell mm. and they always want to kiss you and they always want to grab <laughs> you. <Yeah>. And, and <laughs> they, they nail it and like the mole, the teeth. Oh, and it, oh, when man. when she's uh, crawling down the uh, the air vent, it's like the um, yeah, it's like the yeah. alien. It's that like looks like an alien in Alien it's Sam Raimi movie. That's, yeah, that's horrifying. horrifying. And that the the soundtrack is like this <laughs> <laughs> is the lips and the uh, walking stick and shit. The oh. the um they did a very good job on the on the miniaturized Bill and Ted as well. Still yes. wearing the same outfits and everything. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. um, really great. No, they, the they, cost, again, the costume design in this is really great for Bill and Ted. They've color coded kind of greens and blues and reds and stuff. They've obviously had somebody put more, just a little more time into it than than on the first film. More time, mm. kind of, to, to to plan it. I read somewhere that Alex Winter was saying that that little shock of fringe coming out of his baseball cap was just some kid who lived in his neighborhood and he thought it was hilarious. Well, there you go. That's what I mean. It's these little details that I just don't think the first film particularly has. Just yeah, everything about it just throws you throws you off kilter. And again, I was thinking like, what would you picture if you like imagine if you were had a child? What's the age range? Because this is a PG, and I think that this is quite not tough, but it's like some kids might get scared. Because I remember being quite quite scared. It's etched into my brain this whole hell sequence. If you are going to gauge, you know, if you're trying to decide at which age, you know children should see this versus the standards of when we were kids to the standards of today and what they're exposed to and whether what you did necessarily enacts whether you are a responsible parent today the thing that you have to remember is whether or not the tape you're showing it to them on has pornography on the end <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you suck at me in then i was like oh god he's gonna he's gonna really he's gonna smash this one out the park Oh, oh God. right, right down the garden path. Right down the garden path. When Stu's little ones get through his fucking <laughs> closet. I don't want to know what, yeah, what's going on in Stu's house these days. <laughs> I bet if I drive past it, it's probably got a massive satellite dish. He's still got that chip satellite box on the go. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him on the next episode. We're, um, we're actually, we, we, we're gearing up to talk about basic instinct. I'd love to see what he's oh, got on after that film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah anyway because they do do the they do the kind of boschian or the kind of like renaissance hell right with all the fire and stuff yeah yes and they think it's really cool because they're into metal and then then they go into the kind of existential thing 
And uh, and then they, they know that they need to call on the Reaper, and we didn't really mention it, but I just love the way that Bill and Ted run from death, but don't really. They just do a casual sort of <laughs> jog, and then they stop jogging and just walk. We mustn't forget that they, yeah. they, did already, they did already Melvin him as well. They did yeah. Melvin So it's him. a pre-Melvin's death. I feel like I need to Melvin someone tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that is an HR situation waiting to happen. <laughs> William Sadler, let's talk about him as uh, as death. And, and in my eyes, like I loved Socrates in the first one, and William Sadler just fucking nails death in this. I, I... And Socrates is the dad from Wolfie Smith, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, no he's yeah I can't remember the guy's name. And he's the waiter in like uh, Scrooged. Oh God, he is. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, which is so it's it. another Scrooge thing because um what's his name uh, uh Ted's dad's the sergeant that gets possessed by Bill he's yeah. uh the yeah. mailman from Scrooge, oh yeah no that he's um he also Roy Brocksmith he's from Total Recall hmm. yeah I always yeah. I used to well before I knew his name I used to call him the Turtle Man he's <laughs> this turtle. <laughs> but he was, do you remember Star Trek: The Next Generation where he's like that strategist who's an arrogant prick and then Data has to beat him at board games yes I remember do. that I do oh, yeah. I and he's, also, uh, uh, he's also in arachnophobia. He, he eats the spider mm, and the popcorn. Yes, of course. Oh, shit, yeah. I think Total Recall's the one, though, isn't it, when he gives it is, um, yeah. Quaid, Quaid the pill. Shut um, up, dog, and eat the... Yeah. Ooh, donuts! Savoury crawlers. I don't even know what that is. No, 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 no idea at all. Ted's dad, the actor there, I forgot. forgive me, I've forgotten his name... He is so good at doing a Keanu Reeves impression. Like he's got, the, he's got oh, the, man. he's got the physicality. He's got the, he's got the, the speech pattern and he's got the expressive face as well. Like he, he even nails looks it. like him, doesn't he? He, does, yeah. Yeah. he, looks like, he yeah, that's underrated that because uh, I can't remember the guy who plays uh, Ted's dad, but like, um, yeah, Roy Brocksmith, like just kind of does it over exit a bit. Whereas like that guy, he does it and he does the kind of body language and stuff. It's just his whole body language changes. It's such a great performance. Just the really kind of loose-limbed kind of arms just sort of dangling around while he moves. <laughs> this is what is it? It's like, laters, cop dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, I don't think they... Oh, God. You know what? I said to Devlin I wouldn't do an impression, and there I was just walking into it. But yeah, it's like, Bill, I don't think they believe us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I totally believe you, dude. <laughs> yeah, I totally believe you, dude. <laughs> it's not on Netflix anymore. That annoys me. Oh, the film. Yeah, no, we no, we will have to go get the stew tape. That's the well, you yeah. are. Yeah, it cannot be found anywhere else. <laughs> the definitive um, edition. It's the only. Can you imagine that's the only remaining <laughs> copy? I want that on the Blu-ray extras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 20 to 25 minutes of American pornography taped from Russian television <laughs> by someone called Stu in the, in, in, in the early 90s, now included on this Arrow Blu-ray for the first time. <laughs> William Sadler. He comes, in, he comes in about, it's what, it's, it's pretty much exactly halfway through when he gets like... He probably he gets be- in, yeah. Yeah. Which is a great idea to keep the pace up because he's brilliant. And that's where it's, it starts to resume because it's done something completely different from the last film. It picks up the team up element here. Yeah. Because there are other films a team up when they meet all the historical figures. Mm-hmm. This one, it starts with death and then they get station, which is two people. Then they get the robot usses. Yes. And it becomes a team up again, kind of discreetly. You sort of don't notice it to some small part, but. Well, because it kind of all that all that team up element happens really in the back end, last sort of almost fifteen twenty minutes, and and I would argue that the framework, the actual story framework, is 
almost identical to the first one, but because it's so different in its execution, you don't really notice, and nor do you really care. Like, I'm not bothered that we see the future at the beginning and then we end with a public display like we do in the first one. I'm just like, I'm in the ride or, you know, going along on the journey. And because it's so fun, and then when we have death and we have the seventh seal stuff and he's playing, you know, he's got Twister, that American football game, which I still don't understand oh, how, the magnetic how you football. play that. Yeah, that's I always wanted to play it. Oh, it looks great. Spinning yeah. little, you know, Philip Rivers in the back. I don't know. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, William Sadler, normally straight performances, you know, and he just does this insanely brilliant comic turn in this. It's such a great little turn. And then he also randomly plays that Englishman at the end <laughs> for no real reason. Quite good. Quite good. Oh my. Um, but he's so good as death. Like as this kind of deadpan, cause it's supposed to be the most threatening thing, but he's actually this slightly kind of milk toast, sort yeah. of quite sweet. Cause when he goes to see, when death is in front of God and he's like wearing <laughs> that penny on top he's, of his robe, yeah. he's kind of like tugging at the skirt. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't he say like uh doesn't he say like um he tells uh, god that uh, they gave him a melvin didn't he or did he yeah. <laughs> That's it, I'm, 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 I'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry they gave me a melvin or did he say <laughs> they gave me a melvin or they melvined me it's one of them they melvined me thanks god yeah you are just a noble creator okay well we'll be going now yeah keep up the good work uh, catch, catch you later, later god They melvined me. But you're right. He's normally a straight performer and he really is here to play, isn't he? And, and imagine being in, uh, being like a proper cinephile at the time. You've just come out of Die Hard 2 and you're like, maybe I'll give Bogus Journey a go. Hey, wait a minute. Wasn't that the guy who was doing naked Tai Chi? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it really was. Because uh, he was the president in the Marvel Universe. So he was in uh, Iron Man 3 and then he was in the S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Oh. So he was the incumbent Marvel president. And his... Uh, his vice president was Miguel Ferrer. Um, oh, no but again, oh, yeah. straight, straight performance. And then, um, I can't remember when he's in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I remember is the, uh, section 31 guy that tries to recruit Bashir. Yes. He's like this kind of like cold calculating spy master guy. And he's mm. played so many authority figures across TV and film. Um, you know, he's in the Shawshank Redemption as well, obviously, and he's done yeah. so much stuff, and it's all totally. And that's why I appreciate this performance so much because it's so silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's having a whale of a time as well, and, and sometimes when when actors put in this kind of turn, you know, a, a bit like Joss Ackland's Spunky Backpack, you know, you're kind of just <laughs> doing it for. It's a bit campy, it's a bit silly. And I'm here to, you know, just get a paycheck. But it feels like William Sadler's like, you know what? I want to get to the core of what death's about. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he really does, he really does transform in the film. Like he starts off as a stoic, stereotypical perception of what death might be. And later on, he's doing, you know, the Reaper rap. It's just like it's <laughs> the Reaper rap. <laughs> Before that, my favorite moment of his is when, um, he gets really insecure because nobody's given him any praise because he <laughs> yeah. made the wigs for the robots. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And then, and then after the, after they uh, they compliment Station on his gigantic Martian ass, he's like, <laughs> oh, he 
don't overlook my butt. <laughs> I work out all the time. That's because again, again, he's played as like insecure and sort of quite needy, <laughs> and it, it's, it's <laughs> and, so it, it, and it, it's death. <laughs> it's, yeah. it like this, this, and this, and Last Action Hero, which are great kind of you know Last Action is a film I champion is a really great meta film. They both do the joke of let's have. Death from the Seventh Seal walk about, and I think it's uh, Ian McKellen, isn't it? In Last yeah, Action it Hero. Is, yeah, yeah, it's that version of Death, and they both do. So, like when Death and Bill and Ted is pushing the shopper trolley around in the hardware store, there's a guy smoking. He's like, oh, "I'll see you real soon." <laughs> but in Last Action Hero, he walks out the cinema as a guy smoking. He taps, taps, taps him on the shoulder, and he starts to die. <laughs> so they both do the exact same thing, like. No, oh, it's except the death Ian McKellen death in Last Action Hero. Like he turns up to see like him bleeding and Danny's like, you're not going to take him. And it turns out it's just there for a bit of a perv. (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of have a look and then buck us off again. Like you say, it starts to develop as an ensemble piece, but Bill and Ted, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, they're never fighting for screen time with him. They're like, yeah, bring him along. We want him. And and, and you get that sense of like, that's what, that's the kind of sense that I get as I'm watching it. I'm just like, yeah, well, maybe I'll be invited if I can offer something and I've got a great arse, which if I haven't got my hand up it, it can be good. (laughs) (laughs) They would have you though, because they're lovely. Yeah, they're they nice kids, Phil and Ted, apart from when they're being homophobic. They're nice kids <laughs> and they'd have you along for the ride. That's why they're so great. And it has that, the pacing of this, the whole thing feels like you're being swept along on an adventure because it goes to all these places, right? It goes to heaven and hell mm. and whatever. Like it, it, there's a real sense, there's a genuine sense of adventure and like, and, and also anything can happen. Like the first, you know, I can't even imagine what it'd be like watch this for the first time anymore, but like, you just no predict it. Look, they're going to get killed, come back as ghosts, yeah. Melvin death, accidentally go to a seance and get sent to hell, blag their way out of hell, mug their way into heaven, recruit the <laughs> biggest geniuses that ever lived across all space and time, use them to build some robots to fight the bad robots that were sent back by a dictator from the future to reclaim that possible alternate future and become <laughs> rock stars. Like, yeah. oh, no, totally, I saw that coming. Fuck off. Anybody says that, they're a psychopath and a liar. But, like, there's no reason for the greatest scientists in the universe to be two weird hairy martians who can only say one word and that can then combine into one giant martian yeah they're like this gestalt entity that yeah i love that because again where the fuck did that come from (laughs) that got to do with anything but it's like you watch it you just sort of go like yeah adds up (laughs) (laughs) i think it reminds me of that bit in um uh monty python's meaning of life you know when the um oh no shit it's in the life of brian when he just drops into a spaceship for a bit <laughs> you lucky bastard <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what there's there's little bits of, of both films i think maybe it's because the first film kind of um reminded me a little of time bandits mm, yes mm, so mm. I, I i guess i don't know whether maybe that sort of like free form like monty python influence silliness they're just there's not there's no rhyme or reason is there they look like a pair of old man yeah. testicles the arse track that goes all the way up. Is <laughs> the nose looks like a penis. It's like this design is purposely just absurd. They're kind of a bit fraggly, aren't they? They've got a little that kind bit. of yeah, kind of slightly fraggly look. And they, and again, that in itself is its own mental idea. Like, oh yeah, you have these two creatures that smash into each other to make one larger, <laughs> smarter creature. That's a whole other film. That, as a one-sentence pitch, is better than most things that came out last year. And yet it's just a thrown-away thing in this fucking movie. 
And they're really, really good at charade. I've got a real soft spot for any character that is defined by only expressing themselves in one word. Like, I love Groot. I love Hodor. I love Station. Station! (laughs) And also, Station seems to be, in the future Bill and Ted, Station is established as being kind of a positive slang. Because, like, at the beginning, when Guy from Faith and More comes out, he goes, Station! And they all say Station back. Evil Evil Ted says it. Like near the, it's almost like a yes or a a Roger or a I don't know, but he says it a lot. Like some kind of affirmative, right? Yes, like, like an affirmative, mm. like yeah, station. Because he says it a couple of times before, but then it just becomes this word that can mean whatever you want it to mean. And I'm going to reclaim station. So there it is. I I was just about to say I'm quite up for just throwing station around. <laughs> something good. <laughs> station. If Bill and Ted face the music is good, that's my review. I'm going to say it was station. Well, here's here's a question actually with that one. So the third one has been you know confirmed because for years they were talking about it. They've wrapped filming on it. It is it's a go. It's a happening. I don't know what to expect from it to be honest because obviously we're gonna things have really moved on. And one of the things that I appreciate about this particular series of films is that I don't get the sense, and this is probably a little bit of a Star Wars hangover, but there's no. Doesn't feel like a kind of toxic fandom that surrounds Bill and Ted as like oh this needs to be. The, the third film i don't get that sense yeah it doesn't it doesn't have the kind of the ghostbusters thing of people either saying never touch this mm. or people saying only touch it if you do exactly what i want it seems to be riding a wave of goodwill yeah there's a lot of positive i mean whether i you know i i need it to be good because i'd be so <laughs> sad otherwise um but you know it's one of these things it's not costing a ton of money right they no they don't have to do it it doesn't feel like and if you were to ask me, you know, if, if only Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure existed and you told me how would you continue it, I'd say, I don't know how you would even do that, don't bother. Mm. But then Bogus Journey exists and did something completely different. So God knows what they've got in store. It's the same writer, like Ed, Ed Solomon again. Um, it just seems to have willed itself into existence. Is Chris Matheson also working on it again? Or? I'm going to check because I only know, because I follow Ed Solomon on Twitter and I follow mm. uh, uh, William Atherton and stuff on Twitter. Not William, uh, the, Death, Sad- we were just talking Sadler. about. Follow- Sadler, thank you. I follow the principles on Twitter, apart from Chris Masson, who I don't think is there. So I'm going to go All have right. a look, since mm. I'm on my laptop. Pardon me. Because um, little- I, I found out uh, when I was doing a little bit of scrolling around, literally 10 minutes before we came online, that um, Chris Matheson is Richard Matheson's son. No shit. Wow, Which I did not. I had. I did not know that. Well, uh, Ed, Sol- Ed Solomon used to be John Cleese and Connie Boo's son-in-law. <laughs> oh fucking hell so there's weird yeah weird kind of nepotistic i don't know um shit richard mass no way well it's starting to make sense now why it really does appeal to certainly my comedic sensibilities yeah chris matheson is back as well so it's the pair of them great yeah so that's great i mean i really want it to be good I, i i've got so much goodwill for it i really do um, and I'm gonna. This is one thing that I will low key go and watch first day. Absolutely. Like you say, it's 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 really fitting considering how remarkably positive kind of everything about the films is. Mm. Mm. It makes sense that that everyone's feelings towards it are just kind of generally just pleasant. And wouldn't it be nice as well? Wouldn't it be nice if it you know it has this thing that kind of got a small film gets pushed through in a wave of positivity didn't cost a lot of money makes a nice amount of money and everyone's happy and we get a satisfying thing and everyone enjoys it mm, wouldn't yeah. that be that'd be so nice that would be very fitting of an end to bill and ted 
And also, if after the credits, there's 20 to 25 minutes of pornography, <laughs> you know, that's that'll be the best post-credit scene of all time. <laughs> Make sure you stick around. <laughs> stick around in selected theaters. <laughs> And uh, you imagine the the 4D experience, <laughs> the chair shaking, much, yeah. <laughs> image the size of a bus. <laughs> at the moment, at the moment, oh. you just get a spray of water in your face. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I went, I went too far. I, I've, I've decided not to describe what was in the pornography, but that kind of 4D experience would be appropriate. Excellent. <laughs> that's, oh, all, sure. that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying because uh, I can't break that out on someone else's show. Uh, yeah. you, guys, you guys come on mine. Tell you all about it. <laughs> that is, that will be the last time I do a callback to that. I've done three. No more. <laughs> ah, the rule of three. It was in the four. rule of three. Exactly. So where are we now in the story? Um, we've 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 got station pretty much at the end. Yeah, right? we're right. They, the battle of the bands. Yeah, yeah they're going to the battle yeah. of the bands and. Um, with Primus. Primus. Un- yes. Quick question. What is Pam Gray's character name? Miss the way Wardrobe. Somebody... Wardrobe. Right. Wardrobe. I, I heard, I literally heard Wardrobe. Yeah, it sounds, well, it's a strange choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want one that sounds too much like another word, but yeah, it's Miss Wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. I quite early okay. on in my Twitter career, I tweeted about how much I love this movie and I didn't even tag Pam Gray and I guess she searched her mentions and Pam Gray liked to tweet and I was just like, aha. This is amazing. This is the best. Thing I've well, don't. Yeah. We will. We will tag her into this here show when we come to promote it. Then we love you, Pam. <laughs> she's awesome. Pam is so fucking cool, and she's kind of foxy in this. Like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. But um, at the beginning, she looks pretty hot. Knowing it's Rufus now. Oh, well, that was her whole bag, man. She was. She was. The, she was the queen of black exploitation, man. I mean, that was her. Yeah. That was her whole thing. You know, she looked, she looked very good. Uh, initially, I thought I was like having a, a mismemory of like Tina Turner. I was like, no, that's Last Action Hero. <laughs> but, but you know, she's got the, she's got the same fright wig, and um, yeah, it's uh, she, but she did. She looks good in this, and until obviously, and she's she hiding hiding George Carlin inside as well, especially considering his giant foam robes. <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, oh, the sublime absurdity of this film. <laughs> And this is where all the, all the time travel stuff comes into play, doesn't it? Because it gets yeah. kind of very dense yeah. to time traveling at the end, which is great because it does lots of kind of clever little twisty things about uh, how they have to go and remember to go and set up the traps and then does all the sandbag stuff. And da, da, da. Um, and the, the score is working overtime here because like everything that happens is reacted to by electric guitar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're already doing double duty of having to fill in every time they do air guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, I heard it was um it's it's a combination of Steve Vai and Jim Martin himself. Oh no shit. Yeah, yeah. Did a few of these riffs. Like they just brought him in for a day with his guitar on. Which is pretty cool. I'm gonna go into a bit of a, a bit of a rabbit hole here, but when we were at uni, uh this is really for you, Richard, because I think Devlin remembers this. I pitched for an air guitar documentary. I was like I used to work at the um I used to work at Leeds Student Union Bar and on a Friday it used to be uh sort of rock night and the bar was What was it called, Gally? Dude, honestly, this whole story and I've forgotten the name, yeah, the name of the night. What's the night called? It was Star Slash Electric Head. Star. One room each. Yes, thank you very much. Star so, Slash Electric Head. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Star was full of uh, indie louts and Electric Head was in the back where everyone used to rock out to the same three Slayer tracks every week. They did. Right. 
and I used to deliver snake bite and black to them, uh, working behind the bar. And I remember watching one guy, Metallica, uh, Masters of uh, Puppets came on, eight minute song, and he air guitared the whole thing. <laughs> and I remember writing down, there's a documentary here to be made. And, I, and then it only dawned on me when I pitched it to the university that it, like two years before there was um, that air guitar documentary in 2006. And I forgot the title. And my dreams were shattered. And it's a bit of a sidebar, but I just thought I'd get it out there. Oh, bastards. Yeah, because oh, no. someone did do that. Well, you thought of it first, man. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, there'll be, maybe there'll be renewed interest in, in the light of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, I still do air guitar because I can't play for Toffee. Um, but I, I was in a band at uni and I played the drums because it was the only thing that, you know, I, could, I couldn't even play the bass. I mean, that's bad. Wait, are you talking about our band? Well, yes, and I was also in the first Excellent. Year. Yeah, so, you know. Oh, you were in it? Okay, because I, I thought you were referring to... So when me and Gal used to live together, we used to live in the basement of this uh, big, terrible Victorian house. with like eight of us crammed into one house. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, the Waltons. Uh, at the top end of Leeds. Yeah. Um, and we had the basement. There was like a separate little kitchen down there. It was full of slugs. It was brilliant. <laughs> slash horrifying um, <laughs> but Gal, uh, Gal's had a drum kit but my room was bigger so we put the drum kit in my room and uh, between there's actually one one member of our household could actually play an instrument John Murphy who is now in a band in Bristol but the rest of us were shit yeah. and we put a band together <laughs> and I think what did we learn we learned uh, uh, Thunderclap Newman yes <laughs> we learned uh, we played uh, Asia oh yes <laughs> Care- oh it's like Oh, it's like crap, like like crap prog brands who later went on to play like crap eighties pop. That is what we played. <laughs> Amazing! Well, do you you sound like you might be the real world stallions. We we, we yeah, very much it was are. pretty similar. <laughs> we just need a time machine to go back and uh, I'd wear that as play. a badge of pride. If I were you, absolutely <laughs> wear that as a badge of pride. Uh, <laughs> but no, that yeah, they got the uh, the ending. The we're not really talked about the robots that station builds, but I kind of like how uh, how kind of just simple they are they're just they're kind of oh, I, lo- I love them i yeah. love them because it's so yeah because compared to the evil ones right they're much less sophisticated mm. so they're immediately underdogs they've just got that wacky design where they're made out of shit from a hardware store and <laughs> yeah. um and the montage what is it it's like double the treble treble the fun because <laughs> <laughs> they make robots on the drive over <laughs> which death did the wigs for of course they look great. I'm a big fan of the of the good robot usses, and they kind of seem to be like vaguely sentient, but also require remote control. <laughs> and all they have to do is walk up to the bad robots and punch their heads off. <laughs> yeah, they require remote control, but later in later in the scene, they then take their own remote controls and get out of the way. <laughs> what does it mean? Some kind of feedback loop. What does it mean? And I, lo- I love the way that the evil robots are like they just defer, don't they? Like, yeah, you've got us. See you later, yeah. Bill and yeah. <laughs> well They should have melvid them, but I suppose it would have been difficult for robots to melvin other robots, maybe. Yeah, true. And I'm not even sure if the good, ro- the the uh, the good, the bad robots have chubbies. They but do. I don't know if Station <laughs> made the effort to give the good robots a bit of hose or something. Maybe they don't have any external <laughs> robot genitalia. I don't know. Play with the time travel element. Denomalus uh, comes back. Um, and then they're doing, they're doing the, they're repeating the same gag. But again, I love the fact that there's kind of like zero explanation other than, aha, well, all we need is a sandbag. You know, they just say the one word, don't yeah. they? Which is, uh, well, if we go back, to... 
and then boom, it's there. And then the cage, the key comes back from the first one, which was so pivotal. And, and then the gun, which like, they just, I love the way they just write it off. Like you say, there's no need to, <laughs> there's no need to get wax lyrical and get wrapped around the axles on this one team. Just go with it. Enjoy it. And it's an arms race as to who's already won, right? They just yeah. keep taking turns to yeah. eventually see who actually won. It's like, oh, but when I win, I'm going to go and do the thing and do the thing. And then the police just got his dad's just there. They've, they've not been, they've, the police have been like not present. Right, uh, they, were, they were moonlighting, <laughs> yeah. remember, in the, in the meeting. It's all set up, man. That's the thing about this movie. It's deceptively smart. It's a lot smarter than you would, than it has any business being. Mm. But it does a lot of really clever stuff, not just from referencing things, but just the way it's actually quite nightly, neatly tied up. You know, not all things happen for no reason. You know, there is a kind of, connective tissue to most events in it no i totally agree and and once denominus has gone and uh, and then they go back in time with the princesses bang out a couple of kids learn how to play guitar they come back as like zz top and keanu reeves has got this weird devil cock tickler uh, mustache. yes <laughs> Tim, <laughs> combination it's really quite strange i do think it's quite funny that they have to go away become rock gods learn so they can unite the world under their music and then they play a cover version <laughs> yes <laughs> it's like that's which that's which <laughs> yeah um which they're playing but not singing mm. but somebody's singing someone's singing yeah because then it just drops it's, into the credits and yeah we get the guy love uh, that. as referenced earlier does a great newspaper montage to tie up clean, clean ends and even denomalist gets a happy ending he does, yeah. Yeah. He marries Missy. <laughs> oh. There's lots of like, uh, Grim Reaper stuff. Like he, the Grim Reaper does a, a solo album. He wins the Indy 500. He wins the yes. Doesn't he go to on the moon? Foot. Isn't there a thing where he goes oh, they, to the moon? Uh, so I think right at the end, they decide that they play on Mars. They just, right. Like, okay. A, a call back to, you know, station. My favorite Devlin is, um, is death dresses for the summer. The new look. <laughs> Bold. Yeah, <yes. laughs> we don't deserve Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <laughs> we, we don't deserve it. It's too, it's too good for this world. Well, here's his question. Final thoughts on, on Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And would you recommend it to those people that may not have seen it? Yeah, I don't know. If you've made it this far, as you can tell, I'm a fan. It's a lovely, fun, sweet, positive, funny film that isn't very long, doesn't mess around, uh, and you don't have to see the first one. It's just a fun, little, fun, time-travel existential caper, and I'd recommend it to anybody. What about you, Devlin? Echo those sentiments. It's uh, it's a really, really great film to go back and revisit. I think it holds up tremendously well. I think they both do. Um, like I say, it's been a long time since I've seen the first one. And, and I'd forgot how, how kind of just what a neat little bauble of a film it was. Uh, whereas this one is kind of weirder and, and messier, but in, in ways which make it really just a lot of fun. Like you say, it's, you don't really know where they were going with it, but they did. And (laughs) it's, uh, it, and then it's uh yeah it's a lot of fun um as as a pair of them i mean what they're like barely 90 minutes each watch the pair of them that's a sunday the afternoon isn't it that's a lovely sunday yeah. afternoon mm-hmm. yeah excellent adventure bogus journey little bit of porn done <laughs> yeah. jobs are getting <laughs> jobs are getting <laughs> have your tea speaking um, of happy endings yeah <laughs> 
How about you, girls? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll finish us off then, shall I? Um, oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's, a, there's a headline in and amongst all the um, all the magazines at the end, and uh, it's from Spy Magazine, which just reads, Bill and Ted, we have nothing bad to say about them. And that's kind of how I feel about this film. Honestly, I, I was like hesitant to go back because it really was something that was in my memory. It was in the background. But as soon as Richard, as soon as you said you were going to do it, I had immediate like thoughts of, uh oh, what if I start poking holes and this thing isn't quite that, you know, they always say don't go back to those, those lovings. I did it with Goonies where it just didn't quite, you know, there were things, there were problems that I found with Goonies that when I was a kid, I was just like in love with that film. And uh, honestly, I had so much fun watching it. And I think currently in these tumultuous times, we need a bit of positivity, don't we? And this film has hit me in the sweet spot because start of the year, 2019 was a bit of a shitter. Go watch Bill and Ted Bogus Journey and then watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I I honestly, I'm so thankful that you picked it because... I had a really, really good time watching it. Yeah, I highly recommend it to anyone. I've got an excuse to talk about it for ages, so I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. grateful for the for the excuse to talk about it. No, but no, I do. Uh, yeah, also appreciate it. because I was saying to to Gally that um I I did enjoy chatting about our last film, which was Waterworld. But fuck, if I did not enjoy watching it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Matt. That's, that's not a fun one to actually sit through, is it? Uh, Waterworld, especially like like you're saying, Gals, where it's like you know things might be a bit miserable. And it's like, how would you like an almost three-hour preachy film that's <laughs> oh, also God. shit? It's so long. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Sorry, Matt. I did actually really like talking about it. But, no, we had a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, we had a great discussion. Fun. But yeah, it, it's just it, you want that kind of escapism, and for ninety minutes to just avoid that noise on social media about whatever new films come out that everyone's decided they're going to, you know, chuck chuck loads of shade at. And whatever's going on in the world, you know, it's just nice to just have a positive message that you can have fun with. Don't take it too seriously. And I, you know, it sounds a little bit cliche, but I was just genuinely like transported back into being a bit youthful, a bit goofy. No, thank you, thank you very much, Richard, for uh, for joining us. So we'll we'll uh, we'll say our goodbyes if that's uh, if that's all we have to say about this here bogus journey that we've been on and on the show. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. Oh, thank you very much for coming. No, no, yeah, we really, we really appreciate it, Richard. So uh, we'll say goodbye, listeners. Oh, actually, tell a lie, Richard. Please tell us. So where can we find? Where can find you? Your work? What you're doing on YouTube? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, I think we said the name of the channel at the front, but oh, whatever, it's fine. The people who really care have stuck around for one minute, one hour forty-six. Um, our channel is called Valverde Broadcasting, and it's on YouTube. So if you put Valverde Broadcasting into YouTube, and I, uh, it's a channel I own with my friend Duncan Casey and every Monday we have a internet review show similar to this but half hour on camera called It Ain't Broke comes out every Monday six o'clock and we do feature length commentaries for movies and every now and then I do a kind of loose series of comedy sketches where I pretend to be sort of a homeless alcoholic <laughs> those come out about once a year um uh, and uh, yeah it's a good fun time you should go check it out no absolutely we uh, we we fully endorse and recommend that everyone do that and for those that want to uh, want to find Bill and Ted's bogus journey it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it, Devlin? It's it's on Amazon Prime to purchase, but then if you get a subscription to is it the MGM channel via Amazon, you can get the second film if you get yourself on Amazon Prime's MGM channel. Yeah, 
Take a free trial, cancel it. That's what I've done. <laughs> oh, very good. I didn't know that. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, like, I really couldn't find the Blu-ray for Bogus Journey, but Axel Adventure, you can find that in all your, your sort of major outlets. There is a double disc kind of special collector's edition, but it's like 50 pounds for the pair of them, uh, which I thought was a Ooh. bit excessive. Yeah. So, um, I didn't go for that. Instead, I bought Axel Adventure and then I purchased it on Amazon for, I think it's about four pound, which is, well worth your purchasing. So, yeah. Uh, we would also say invite you to sort of like, subscribe, all that good stuff on the podcast. And uh, Devon, we'll say our goodbye, shall we, buddy? Uh, but not before I leave a message for the kids. Uh, you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later, you'll dance with the reaper. <laughs> it's Gally signing out. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and uh, don't overlook my butt. It's Devlin in London. (laughs) Thanks very much, Richard, and uh, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Thank you very much. (laughs) 